0: Hello and welcome to the A Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm Mike Burbridge, Senior Director of Marketing Futures and the host of this episode. Data, data everywhere, but not an insight, insight. Sorry, that was corny, but it is true that marketers are constantly struggling to take the oceans of data at their disposal and figure out what to do with it. Adding to that challenge are data privacy laws like GDPR and CCPA, which threaten to turn brands' first-party data from an asset to a liability. So, to provide our listeners with some clarity on the subject, we spoke with Affinity Answers, a marketing data science company that focuses on identifying and activating the right data for brands. Shri, Josh, and Jack of Affinity Answers discussed the difference between deterministic and probabilistic, offered tips for working with data scientists, and stressed why marketers should pivot their data focus from knowing to understanding. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with uh, the entire Affinity Answers click. Um, I'm just gonna go around and uh, let everybody kind of introduce themselves, uh, give you an idea of where their journeys, uh, you know, of their journeys and, and how it's led them uh, to this point. Uh, Shri, do you want to uh, start off? Sure. Uh,
1: thanks, Michael, for the opportunity. Um, it's good to see uh, be in front of all your listeners. Uh, my name is Shri Shree Nagarajan. I'm the founder and CEO of Affinity Answers. I founded the business 14 years ago. That probably shows in my gray um, <laughs> I, um I was a, a software guy, a tech guy, and a product manager before I started the business. Part of my motivation in starting the business was, uh, I was as a product manager, I was trying to do a product survey, uh, and very few people would fill out the survey, and even then they would fill out like very little about them, and this was in early 2000s, and I s- watched with fascination the emergence of MySpace at that time. The same consumer who would not say a single thing in a survey would say 50 things about them in a public profile, and that was all public at that time. So it kind of fascinated me as a product manager and they say oh, this got to be a, we are got to be able to aggregate all this information and be able to derive interesting uh, intelligence that can actually be applied for uh, brand growth as well as uh, uh, being respectful of a uh, consumer uh, and then mm-hmm. being able to offer uh, relevant things by, uh, to them by the brand so that led to uh, affinity answers in the early days so we were uh, aggregating analysis uh, from MySpace data and the early clients, because it was predominantly artists at the time in MySpace, was record labels. Um, so, m- example cases where um, our data was used to sell a $140 uh, box set for uh, Bob Dylan. Um, our, our data was uh, with an 8% conversion rate. And if you're in the DR industry, you know what that means. Yeah. An 8% conversion rate on a <coughs> DR uh, $140 box set I was is say quite, a significant. Price. That's, yeah, quite significant. Yeah, quite uh, significant. Uh, For Kings of Leon, we would actually, our uh, our data predicted who would actually put the new Kings of Leon single into the player. Um, So we targeted 70% of them put the song that was requested into the player within the next 24 hours. So those were early indications that we were onto something, uh, that the way we actually uh, built our model, uh, the data and the model. And that led us into expanding to TV industry. MTV was one of our very early clients. Um, uh, Many shows were marketed. Um, Teen Wolf and a bunch of other shows were attuned in, marketed with our data. Um, and then that eventually led into expanding our, our data set into Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And now uh, we track about um, 400 million consumers worldwide uh, in an anonymous, aggregated way and uh, affinities to about 65,000 brands, media and entertainment. Okay. That essentially forms the uh, primary uh, asset that we have, a model. That is actually scores third party data and is used by 400 clients, agencies, programmatic trading desks, both in house and agency trading desks uh, worldwide. Uh, that, in nutshell, is our business. We're based in Austin, Texas. Very cool. Yeah. Josh, Yo. what's up, my
2: man? How are you? Uh, Josh Raper. Um, uh, I has, I guess my entire career up to this point uh, has been in advertising, advertising agencies, Lear Burnett, McGarry mm-hmm. Bowen. Ogilvy and Mather, all of the big ones. Um, and then um, about a year and a half, a year ago, um, I started consulting um, with three um just talking about data and all of the things that he was talking about just from a uh advertising marketing perspective right so they had the data science perspective but now let's bring in a little bit advertising marketing perspective and uh, i got a little bit hooked Uh, i got a little bit hooked with the data science got a little bit hooked with the application i think as um jack is probably going to talk about and uh i'm going to kind of you know hold the banner behind him There are so many issues that are happening right now in advertising that advertising people necessarily can't solve, right? So you need to bring in uh, subject matter experts, but then how do you manage that subject matter expert and kind of bring them uh, into it so that they can solve the problem? And kind of being baked into that and kind of understanding the science behind it, understanding the actual ways behind it, uh, it's addictive. And then bringing that uh, to the solution level and then bringing it to clients. It's been great. So that's what I've been doing for the last uh, year, and now I live in Austin, Texas, with three. Yeah, we Not with three. A-
1: yeah, as he says, he uh, strong armed, armed, armed him to move to Austin. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't a suggestion. Let's put it that <laughs> way.
0: <laughs> this. What's this? Congratulations on your movie, Mel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got that before I moved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just primes you for yeah, it. Exactly. And Jack, why don't you uh, give us an yeah. idea of your uh,
3: story. And- yeah, thanks Mike. Uh, my story is uh, 37 years in the advertising agency business exclusively, a bit like Josh. Uh, my core DNA comes from Leo Burnett when I got my first, uh, first and really only job in many ways right out of college. Um, along that trail, uh, I was part of a leadership team that created Starcom and then the Starcom MediaVest group and then ultimately my last 12 years worked uh, for Maurice Levy uh, and formation of a, of a group called Viveki which was really uh, a, a structure in many ways ahead of its time uh, which merged uh, the two media agency networks globally with two very powerful uh, digital marketing firms in Razorfish and Digitas and then I fi- finished that in uh, summer of 2013 Brings me to why I'm sitting here with Josh and Shri. Um, you can't leave this business, and Josh probably touched on it as well. It's you—you you cannot leave it until you—you're you know, buried, probably. Uh, therefore, I was interested and approached by several different kind of, uh, you know, publisher uh, places for advising agreements, uh, small and large, uh, marketing tech businesses, um, and the like. But uh, I wanted to be choiceful and I wanted to seek out uh, a, uh, a business like Affinity Answers and just one other one, uh, have my advising time. My advising arra- agreement over the last three years with Shri has evolved to a, a small investment stake. Uh, uh, and let me
1: interject, Jack is the least uh, paid employee in this business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> That is that is actually a compliment. Uh, Is uh, the amount of time and uh, both mental time and physical time that uh, Jack spends on it is uh, we couldn't be uh, more thankful. Uh, Mm -hmm.
3: A compliment right back at Shree and the Affinity Answers uh, opportunity opportunity in business. I love being part of the advising team. But the reason I like Affinity Answers is it's compatible with my desire to stay with the business, and it's compatible with my training as an advertising agency executive for three plus decades which is uh, you know so trying to look for and solve client uh, problems and/or opportunities that might be inhibiting their own growth uh, I was always taught and trained if you focus on the those advertisers and their problems and their opportunities uh, your agency and other businesses kind of go along positively for the ride um, I believe that's still the case I know Josh would agree that's how he was trained as well at Leo Burnett uh... but anyway that's how I, I i love where affinity answers can go to and it's diverse it's de, uh... uh... it's uh, diversity of applications and uh... I, I probably can only touch on the surface i am not the content expert but from the eyes of a practitioner and again solving client problems uh... i really think affinity answers has a, uh, a tremendous story uh, and one thanks to you we get a chance to put the brand and the proposition out to a few thousand more yeah, avid podcast listeners.
0: I'm excited to, uh, to kind of unfold this story and uh, see where it's headed next. So one thing that we, you know, internally we talk about tackling trends in the now, the new, the next. Uh, If you don't have a historical uh, awareness and just some general awareness of your surroundings, you're basically shooting into the dark if you're trying to push forward and innovate. Mm. So I thought uh, it would be good before we get into kind of all of the new developments and where data is headed. What is the state of the data union today? Yeah. uh, In all of its glory and and opposite of glory.
1: Okay. All right. So, data um, today, in the State of the Union today, the challenges that you actually see is wall garden is a big issue as media companies consolidate and then the bigger media companies become even bigger um, and um, they all are kind of trying to optimize uh, their individual outcomes uh, like a typical capitalist driven company. So, in the process, what is happening is less and less data is becoming available. On top of that, you add the whole uh, privacy scandals and, uh, and so on. There is a li- very little incentive from the media company to share anything about their consumer and in the process it is actually indirectly costing both the brand ulti- and ultimately the consumer they are paying the price uh, without realizing it so, um, so wall garden is a big issue uh, that is in the kind of the, uh, one big challenge that we have. Um, the other thing that is actually big now is this um, big emphasis on first party data. And thereby, because of, it's hard to get data from anybody else, so uh, then the natural kind of, you spring to the other uh, extreme of the pendulum and then say, I don't need anybody else. I can build the data myself. So that is the other extreme uh, that brands are swinging right now, um, saying, oh, let me go build my entire data stack and technology stack and Martech stack. I'm going to build all the data internally myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think that is the solution either. Um, there has to be something in the middle that needs to come in. But I don't think everybody's kind of figuring out what, what that new thing is. Um, uh, but right now, it's all about wall gardens is becoming harder and harder. And I'm going to try to build my first party data empire.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we also have the footsteps of the future. So we, being a global company, um, we have to deal with the European legislation that is okay. already kind of impacting um, you know, GDPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's impacting a lot of the privacy. It's, it's impacting all of the data, uh, how it's collected, and then how it's used within Europe. Uh, We see uh, the semblance of that coming in California, Mm -hmm. um, with the California Privacy Act. And then we know that there's gonna be federal legislation that is soon to come as well. So all of that is going to impact the availability of first party data, um, how it's sourced, um, the transparency Um, for people to understand exactly who's collecting it and it and the the adverse reaction to wanting your data collected and it's and you know so everywhere you go it's like your data is gonna be used here here and here is that what you want Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's going to be a that's gonna be a real problem it's gonna be a real problem for marketers as she was saying who have this dream of going one-to-one
0: right and it almost feels like this data, which for so long, first-party data and amassed data that I own, was viewed as such an asset, and the more, the better. It feels like it's hitting an inflection point where almost overnight, it's going to become liability. pure liability. Yeah, uh, and yeah.
2: It's, it, I think it, it. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Um, I think that's. I think that's the real the realization that we have with data. I think, you know, if if I'm if I'm going to weigh on my my years actually in the advertising arena and sitting in front of CMOs and sitting in front of brands and then all of them having kind of these, these data questions and these what do we do with the data and how can we better use our data questions. Um, I think it's about you know uh, understanding what's possible and what's feasible um, without getting um, kind of mired in the jargon, getting, getting mired in the shiny thing and getting mired in the headlines and actually diving in and saying, actually, there are some very real ways to provide scale. There are very real ways to understand your audience better, right? Um, it doesn't have to be fanciful, it doesn't have to be the next new thing. There are things that exist right now that are doing it all across uh, the, the entire industry.
0: Mm. So, yeah, so, um, so what I'm getting is, is sort of that dream of one to one. Uh, the promise of digital advertising, which I've said in a couple of episodes, it's, ju- it's just not. That's not as the thing that we're envisioning. Yeah. Uh, so let's kind of continue on this uh, to talk about the difference between deterministic data and probabilistic data. Because what I'm hearing is we're all chasing after this holy grail of deterministic data where there might be a much uh, more readily available opportunity.
1: Uh, yeah, open to yeah. before going into that, uh, Michael, yeah, that's a good segue into it, um, is we also have to think about why deterministic data is going to become harder and harder. I think mm-hmm. understanding a little mm-hmm. bit better will actually uh, uh, let you appreciate the other parts as well. Um, because of all the privacy legislations, it's going to become uh, like a c- typical scenario is uh, today you might go to a brand site, You many of them don't sell through e-commerce, they are trying to start to sell, but many of them collect predominantly for like promotional purposes like sign on your email list to create coupons or promotions and so on now if your sign up has to say here are the 15 things we will do with your data do you still want to sign up right it's an awkward experience for even the brand to actually put it out there um, so thereby right from starting collect from the collection point brands are going to be hesitant once the last implication is fully known a, 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 a CCP or a private, federal privacy law so um the, uh, so because of that, all the down-chain ecosystems, we are very intricately tied to the data industry uh, because our, our model is applied to score all the third-party ecosystem. We have visibility to 90% of the third-party data that actually flows in, uh, in globally. Um, so we saw a dramatic reduction of the third-party data availability in uh, European Union, for example, post-GDPR laws and whatnot. And that is essentially people not wanting to be liable. Um, and ironically, an interesting trend that we actually saw is, Many of these companies are now starting to be owned by bigger conglomerates, Adobe, Salesforce, Oracle, and all these things. What is interesting is um, the data division of those big companies is just a small portion of the business. But the liability you get from GDPR is at the parent level, not at the subsidiary level. Mm -hmm. So thereby the parent says, I cannot afford to take that risk. So thereby, even if this may be OK, I don't want to be. I want to be 100% certain. And thereby, many of them are actually exiting that business altogether. There are acquisitions that big companies made um, that were all popular till like last year and that they are like kind of pulling all the data out. So so the third party data availability is going to become smaller, but the bigger undercurrent there is the first matching of your cookie or your uh, ID, right, with somebody else's data. So it is going to, that deterministic one-to-one matching is going to become harder and harder. Right. And it's going to become not just an asset, but more of a liab- bit of an asset and a bit of a liability. Um, so. Deterministic is not the only game in town that then you have to worry about. But at the same time, every brand is kind of thirsting for growth, right? So um, uh, even ANA's mission is to drive brand growth. So everybody is driving for for growth. Um, So now I got to get my growth. And the growth is going to come from predominantly two consumer constituents. One is I can go to my heavy buyers, who I probably know a lot about, and try to convince them to buy one more uh, of my unit uh, of product. Or I can go have to go find my new and like buyers. Right. Um, there is a Byron Sharp school of thought that actually says that, that is where most of your revenue is going to come from is the new light and lapse buyers. So if you have to find those new light and lapse buyers, by definition, they are not known to you. New buyer, you don't know who they are. That's the definition of a new buyer, right? So how do I actually effectively find those buyers? And that is not a deterministic one-to-one match. They are new, so you cannot match it with every, any, any, anybody else. So now I have to model. And what kind of modeling I, ha- I have to do? And the historical modeling techniques were kind of the, for lack of a better word, is the caveman version of this before we actually evolved into a human <laughs> kind of a thing. So, um, so that is where uh, the historical uh, state-of-the-art was, uh, is the whole concept of lookalike model, which actually took a very simplistic way of uh, behavior, uh, sorry, uh, demographics. And there is also behavior-based analysis that is kind of coming into the fore. Um, so we need to get various tool sets to be able to probabilistically, using a model, Find which audience they're likely to buy my well, product. Well, before we get super nerdy on
2: it, yeah. let's take <laughs> a step back because I think you I think you hurdled. I love it. Um, yeah. I love it. And, and this and is Vicky, a nerd-friendly yeah. zone. <laughs> you might have hurtled a few people. Um, um, I think what we what is is worth pausing on yeah. is once you make that bridge, once you make that separation from deterministic, to get, and then what is probabilistic? Yeah. Like, what does that mean, right? So probabilistic uh, involves modeling and it involves, at a very rudimentary uh, level, data science, right? Mm-hmm. So there are lots of different algorithms that can. Um, Basically filter a lot of different data from a lot of different data sources in order to create models that can um, you know take your either deterministic data or other signals, and then it can um, create scale by matching it or predicting um, other things that certain signals would be most likely. The easiest way to kind of compare it to is like a Netflix recommender or an Amazon recommender, right so uh, w- although they're within their own platform and a little bit of a walled garden, they know what you watched and all of everything that you watched is very well tagged and well, very well understood so that it can then compare it to other things and other people that watch the same thing and then it can recommend with confidence, you'll also be interested in this, right? So that's what probabilistic yeah. uh, data is. It's basically saying through other third party ways, not direct first party, I have painted a picture of who you are um, and now I can with confidence say you would also like this, right? So that's how you get to the new, right? So if you don't know they specifically like this, how do you get to that point? So that's a little bit of the model. Yeah, but it's interesting to to dive into what specifically you're talking about Like how the model is built and how specifically
1: um, our yeah. model is built. Yeah. Yeah So uh, there are many ways to actually build the model um, so um, uh, The interesting thing is as an aside uh, data science um, is a kind of an old wine in a new bottle. So so when I was uh, getting into the industry and uh, really getting to be a product manager in the early uh, 2000s, it used to be called data mining. Um, uh, Mm -hmm. And essentially, most of the algorithms were invented as early as 1700. And the latest deep learning algorithm neural networks were originally invented, I think, 1940s or something. So it's like decades old. The Mm -hmm. idea is decades old. Um, And now you are, uh, what has changed is the widespread availability of data and the cheap computing power with cloud computing. So thereby the whole bunch, and the algorithms that are actually readily made available by the Amazon cloud and the Google cloud and all these guys. So there are ready-made packages uh, that are available through open source as well. So that makes it easier for people to actually build build these models. Um, but every every model starts with the raw ingredient and that is the quality of the data. How good is the quality of the data? Then it's literally garbage in and garbage out. So if the quality is not good, then it is going to affect all the way up.
0: Um. Can I ask how you determine, like, obviously, I'm probably about to answer my own question as I'm asking it, but I'm guessing based on historical uh, false positives and maybe, you know, uh, things that just couldn't connect to an IP address or anything, like, how, what is that separation sequence based on?
1: Yeah, so um, so it really depends on what data you have available, right? Every every company that is actually doing modeling has limited data set available to them. Um, so um, the uh, what you what you want to look for is as much as possible, it is um, not instrumented. So meaning like it, it, the the consumer. Um, uh, 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 is kind of going about doing their own stuff, mm. and then you are just observing their behavior. Got it. But you want to be very mindful of privacy implications while you actually mm. do that. Mm. So it needs to be first public data, it's fully consented data, and uh, anonymous data aggregated. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah so. Shri,
3: I think there's another dimension of the of affinity answers data as an as an attribute, which is uh, its uh, its fresh relative freshness. Um, when you when I hear historical data, and I can I can already start to think back of you know. Three years of back purchase data, even one year. And people say, how can that ever be the, a predictor of future behavior? And I think the dimension of this act alike model and where the data comes from and its ability to keep that relatively recent to real time uh, is another dimension I think that makes the product much yeah. more powerful.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but to generalize what Jack said, is, you want the data to be as recent as possible so it has more predictive power. Mm-hmm. You want it to be as uninstrumented as possible so thereby it reflects real-world consumer behavior as opposed to your warped version of it. Um, uh, And and third is because of all the privacy regulations and whatnot, you ironically want it to be anonymized and aggregated, not at the individual one-to-one matching level. As much as it is tempting uh, is I want it to be one-to-one level, you just have to stop back and look in your mirror and then say, do I want to be tracked as a marketer that way, as a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. Then you answer your own question. No, I don't want to be tracked that way. Then why do you want your consumer to be tracked that way, right? So, so you want it to be aggregated and anonymized, and thereby it's, uh, it's a kind of the uh, acid, uh, the kind of the quick acid test is: Do you want your kit to be tracked this way for your brand right. marketing? Mm-hmm. Right? right. If you answer that question, yeah, it's okay, kind of a thing, right? Then, then you kind of pa- pass the kosher test uh, mm-hmm. of this. So, um, uh, so to be able to do that, and then, then that is the that is the first ingredient. Those are the qualities of the data, right? So, um, then once you take the data in then you have to actually see what business problem I am solving with this data. Right? So, of course, you start with the problem, then work backwards what data you have available. Sometimes you have to work with what data you got. Sometimes you can go source the data. Then you have to see what model or technique do I have to apply for this data. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, you cannot actually say for a man with a hammer, everything is an a nail kind of a thing. So, you cannot look at like, Uh, I am a data scientist and I just finished college out of learning a deep learning class, so everything, every problem I'm going to solve with a deep learning algorithm. Right. That's not the way either. Neural networks. Yeah, neural networks. Uh, Every, any, any world hunger can be solved by neural networks. Right. Right. So that is not the way you should actually look at it either. So you want to look at it, and this is the problem, and sometimes it may be a simple statistical model would suffice. Sometimes it may be a a, a decision tree model like a Bayesian network would suffice. Sometimes you really need a deep learning model of a neural network that actually has to go learn and, uh, from that and then apply. So you have to actually dep- uh, have a wide spot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see we do recruitment uh, uh, for our data science team and whatnot, um, and uh, one tip for uh, uh, your listeners especially if they are looking to recruit data scientists is um, uh, if you are the easy place for you to go to is a data science program in a college and try to recruit people out of that program. Mm. But they are, uh, for lack of a better word, they are an overvalued stock. If you want to use the stock market analogy. Everybody knows that uh, that is where the data scientists are. So if you want to find an undervalued, under-the-radar stock, right, that will outperform for you or give you a better ROI for your uh, money that you're going to invest in that person, you can actually look at non-traditional departments. Operations research is one such department. So Mm. you can go to the operations research department of a university and find people who have the right mindset but don't they label themselves as data scientists yet. And thereby, they are not bid up in the industry. I'm just giving you one example. Right, the right. reason why operations such people are relevant to the data science industry is that the thinking that you bring into, I have to optimize the problem, uh, um, is, is a good thinking tool set for a data scientist to have. And they can easily make the transition to be a data scientist as well. Mm-hmm. But the underlying theme here is you want a guy or a gal who actually has a wide swat of techniques, tool sets, that they can take and apply to a specific problem. Mm. And that is very important for the modeling aspect of it, is what kind of problem do I have uh, that I'm trying to solve? And what data uh, do I have available? And accordingly, what algorithm, or what approach, right, data science approach can I take uh, to build a model? So, yeah.
0: Uh, you, yeah, you just hit on two axioms that I never put into the data science hmm. realm. Hmm. Well, obviously everything, like the shiny object. Yes, you've got it. Yeah. Now take a deep breath and do you need this? Right. Or is right. something that's been in your office, op- like mm. it can a, can a, you know, right. a spreadsheet formula right. do this for you? Right. Uh, so obviously shiny object, for, for the purveyor of all objects shiny, mm. I'm always telling people they need to take a deep breath yeah. and remind themselves what problem they're trying to solve. But, um, Another uh, a thing that you touched on um, with that great under the, the radar mm-hmm. stock mm-hmm. Uh, for, you know, if you're in the market mm-hmm. for data scientists, is that we're seeing more and more in other marketing areas like strategy and creativity that it's like, I don't care if you have already worked in the interface that we use, that's not, we can train anybody Mm -hmm. to learn a program, to learn this thing. What are the intangibles and the soft skills and things that you are going to do unprompted and unsolicited, that are just going to make you a more valuable employee? And it's just incredible that that even extends all the way to data science where you'd think, Mm -hmm. oh, I need, you need to know this exact thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't know every, you know, character in the formula uh, for, really, really dumbing it down for my own sake. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but like if you don't, that's so, so interesting that like the same kind of passion areas and curiosities um, yep. can lead to just a different, a shift in science. Well, I think,
2: that's, uh, I think that's one of the most overlooked thing, and we were talking about this uh, in the car over here. Um, everybody's clamoring for data scientists, right? Mm -hmm. But what they don't understand is there needs to be data science management. Mm. Um, Mm. So who's bridging that gap between what you want and what they can do? because data, data scientists don't have a degree in advertising. They don't have a degree in business. They don't, have, they don't understand the variability or the, or the inputs that have to go into the model or what you're trying to get out of the model. They can build the model mm-hmm. and they can, they can express you know, uh, something that can filter data and to analyze that data, but those inputs and spoken in a way that they can understand and also spoken in a way that they can use need to come from marketers more and more and more. So there needs to be data science management in order to get what you want out of either your stacks from your MarTech. So we we hear all the time that you know MarTech is languishing in um, brands just sitting there because there isn't that that bridge that allows them to be used to their full capacity, mm-hmm. right? So it is, it's, a, it's a really important nuance yep. that it's not just about data science, it's also about who's managing um, your data scientists and who's actually providing those hypotheses, who's providing that input that you are then gonna get you know, that valuable output out of.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, in fact, that is actually even critical uh, a skill that is in short supply is data science management because data scientists, you can train the guy like here are the algorithms and whatnot but the judgment that you actually have on like, okay, this problem requires these kind of things to solve is even a more critical problem. Um, And of course, uh, presumably the data science manager should have done a bit of data science, but they also have to be kind of a generalist, not a specialist, um, um, because they have to look at it. It's almost like you want to have a liberal arts background with some data science learning, Um, and not not purely mathematical kind of a thing. Then you only have an analytical mindset. Uh, You don't have the kind of the creative mindset or the liberal arts mindset for you to bring to the table. So that is ironically, I think it's going to become even more valuable is, if you can have what I would call as the middle brain, not the left brain or the right, right. brain. If you can have the middle brain, then you're actually going to thrive in the data science management uh, kind of a position. And that is the kind of character you want to look in a person. Is, is he a holistic thinker? Yes, he can be analytical, but he can act actually be also creative. So.
2: And it's what's vital. As you look at the the brand environment, brand managers, CMOS, um, as you look at the advertising environment, uh, these are the people who are buying the these either martech stacks, the data. Um, these are bu- they're buying these things, and if you don't know the right questions to ask, if you don't know what data can actually do, and you have somebody coming in and being like, "Oh yeah, data can do that," you're like, "Oh great." If, it probably, like you, sh- you should have some relative competency around what data can do, and if somebody's telling you, oh yeah, you know, we can we can target anybody in the world with, you know, just a, w- one signal, we can get you all your, you, you can't, right? Yeah. I mean, you know the quantity of data that is involved, the quality of data that's involved. Where are you getting your data? You know, how are you filtering that data? And then how are you getting what you're saying? I mean, it's very important because ironically, You wouldn't buy a car if you had no idea anything about a car and just Mm -hmm. be like, yeah, sure, I'll do that one. A lot of people are buying these martech and data solutions and they just don't have that that core competency and knowledge of how they do it. A
1: lot of people, so I I go to uh, conferences, including A N A conferences, and I meet with um, uh, CMOs and media directors and whatnot. A lot of people, either um, unknowingly or or just blindly believe that data and data science is going to solve all their problems. So, oh, machine learning, we got that, like, uh, next year, uh, who knows, even uh, they kind of, uh, 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 right, says that, oh, me and um, I may be out of a job because machine will do all the things that I'm actually doing. Machine
0: learning, yeah, we got one
1: of those. Yeah, we got, we'll solve every problem for me, right? So uh, It's going to write our ads for us. Yeah, write our ads for us. The the channel there is just like um, Josh touched upon what data cannot do. There is a whole bunch of things that data science cannot do, and there is not a lot talk, lot of talk about it. Of course, in data, it is in data science industry's own self interest to not talk about it, right? Because <laughs> so I'm getting bid up. Why am I going to talk? Like I had warts in my face, right? So, yeah. um, so the so instead of that, um, um, I, I give you examples of some of them are obviously not uh, nice examples. So, um, for example, the whole uh, uh, the uh, mass shooting that happened in New Zealand. Um, mm-hmm why it took actually a while for Facebook to shut it down is because their machine learning algorithm could not detect that it is actually malicious content mm. because there was not enough of such content to train that algorithm. Uh. Right? OK. So, obviously, you don't want a bunch of shootings to happen before your t- machine learning algorithm is right. trained on uh, uh, detecting that, right? So, those are limitations of data science is mm-hmm. if you ha- it has not seen that pattern before, it cannot do anything for you. E- even if it has seen the pattern, uh, it can still make wrong conclusions. So um, so those are um, um, uh, challenges with the data science. So uh, so thereby, uh, assuming data science is a panacea and it's going to solve all your problems, it's just blind fight. So okay. you have to know what it cannot do, and thereby you then understand, oh, th- okay, now I understand what it cannot do, thereby I now know what it can do.
3: What I was going to add is a little bit on what Josh was saying on uh, advertisers who may have either hired data scientists or they've got an arrangement with a a, a martech mm. company once or another, uh, but they often don't know what they got inside either of those people, especially with a martech. One of the more interesting uh, aspects I would say of working around Affinity Answers is that very specific into the programmatic buying space is that Affinity Answers product sits inside a lot of DSPs and a lot of uh, Martech solutions uh, that they might even be promoting as effective, which are really driven by uh, in, uh, driven by Affinity Answers contribution. Uh, but you may not know that. Uh, that's you know a great opportunity on why you've got have uh, entertain us on the podcast. But I think and our hope is that. An advertiser who sees its power, understands that it's inside its execution, and sees its power in terms of affecting that, will very quickly then, like I did, it doesn't take a brilliant person to then see the the versatility of Affinity Answers data and your ability to expand the size of a legitimate target market beyond first party users. Uh, Your ability to get more effective, efficient uh, execution your ability to even measure something different than a sales output, which I, for one, have always struggled with. The notion of attribution, especially in the packaged goods world, of I ran that ad and now I got that sale. There's just, I think my schooling told me and experiences that there's far too many variables to ever make that attribution legitimate. Mm -hmm. But if I can provide a measuring stick that's more up funnel and still legitimate, uh, I think it, it, again, it just speaks to the versatility and the potential in uh, my enthusiasm for the, for the company uh, to solve advertiser problems and, and mm-hmm. exploit yep.
1: opportunities. Uh, uh, okay. One interesting anecdote there is, um, this is just a kind of a, uh, intellectual exercise for me to think about, <coughs> is if media companies are all offering guarantees for a consumer package good business, if you extrapolate that, right, the eventual, what is the outcome? If media company can sell your product for sure, then the media company should own the consumer package. That's the logical outcome, right? Because right. then they can sell right. that stuff. Then why should there be a, 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 a consumer package brand, right? Because then the media company should own the consumer. That is like talk about vertical integration, <laughs> right? So, so, thereby, and, and I'm t- expanding on uh, ja, w- uh, what uh, Jack said, is there are so many variables out there that you cannot hold the media company comp- 100% responsible. That you've got to deliver uh, uh, like my next shampoo bottle, otherwise, I'm not buying media, right? Uh, mm-hmm. On uh, the aggregate, they have to deliver. But you cannot do attribution. Again, this is kind of goes back to one-to-one also, is right. there is this fascination that I can measure everything. Every dollar is cent I spent, right, I can con- convert it to purchase. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. Right. So, so you, thereby, you've got to actually, um, to use a, a, a saying that uh, Warren Buffett said, is you want to be approximately right, not precisely wrong.
0: Yeah, so. I, uh, I think the first time we all met, um, we, were, we were having a conversation uh, about this very thing. And it's kind of like, it's almost like marketers have to give up this hope that they're gonna know and focus on understanding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if you can get that general trend and understand how good your probabilistic data is, in the long run, that's gonna do a lot more than trying to just always swing for the fences and maybe you hit one. Well, so- I, think that's, I think that's
2: the key here. I think the key here is that there's a silver lining. It's not all doom and gloom, it's not yep. all data is dead, it's yep. not all because I can't do this, I'm not going to be successful. Right. And, and I think the, the point, if, if nothing else, um, whether Affinity Answers or anything else, the, the point is, is that if you have, if you feel like you have data limitations, if you feel like you don't have the ability to reach scale, if you feel like you don't truly have the ability to reach new consumers, the reality is that there are solutions out there, and it comes from data science, and data science is able to solve those problems for you. We have a solution with Affinity with Answers. There are other solutions that are out there, but it's important that people know that this is not a dead end. Right. And, and, and it's more important to, to not feel defeated and not do anything, right? right? Especially if, obviously, the leaders in the categories, they you know feel confident in, in their ability to, to reach and scale because they have, they have more money. For the for the challengers, you know, where do they go? How do they figure out, you know, how do I compete at that scale, right? And there's in, in this economy there are more and more and more and more challengers out there. I mean, the entire long tail is becoming longer. Right? And I think it can be frustrating. We're a small company, there we've worked with a ton of small companies that are like, Well, there's well, it's impossible. We can't We can't get that type of scale for the money that we have. We can't possibly understand our customers the way that they can understand their customers because we don't have the one-to-one. You can, and I don't want to say it's simple. It's it's complex, but there are solutions that exist out there, uh, and it's just it it involves a little bit of understanding. It's understands like being a little bit conversant in data, data modeling, and understand
1: what data can do for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, another important point. We just came out uh, from another meeting with one of your executives. And uh, he made a critical remark uh, as soon as we said we are, oh, we are a company that has actually built the bottle. Oh, if you are a model, you are a black box, we cannot trust you. And that is a typical response, uh, and we don't blame him either. Is That's a typical response that most marketers have. You are a black box, you either are have something so much sophisticated you can ex- cannot explain to me, or you are, don't trust your own thing, so you don't want to reveal anything about it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that is actually going to hurt this business. Um, so, the vendor side, um, which obviously we are part of, have to come out on the client side has to demand that as well. That look, if you are using a neural network, for example, even the data scientists cannot explain how, because neural network by itself learns, like what are the weights and whatnot, so they cannot explain it either. Mm. But you can actually say what data goes into this model, and what model did I pick up, pick, and what are the actually the uh, pluses and pros and cons of that model. So, for example, the model that we use uh, to power our, our model called true affinity is a matrix factorization model. That was used for a good reason, and we use anonymized social engagement data of 400 million consumers to 65,000 brands, so that is actually used to train the model, and that model learns on the Netflix-like associations, and then that model is used to score other third-party and first-party data. So third-party data has attributes A, B, and C. The model says the people who are into A, B, and C, like a Netflix recommender, are also into D and E, so then it predicts D and E for you, and then thereby it's able to, that D could be your brand. and thereby we can actually predict that, uh, who is the likely consumer that's interested in, based on other attributes. It could be brand attributes, media attributes, entertainment attributes. So, so thereby, you cannot explain really what goes inside that uh, algorithm, but you can explain everything around it. And then essentially say, this is the data, this is the uh, business problem we are solving, and this is the model that is most appropriate for the uh, business problem, and that's why we have this. And this is the how it's, the model is being applied, once mm-hmm. it's been trained. So you want to be able to come uh, come out with that kind of a transparency um, and that, uh, that is on the vendor side. The marketers also have to be educated yes. to be able to understand yes. this yeah. uh, and what takes, what is a predictive model, what does it take, right? So it takes data, it takes the algorithm, uh, the uh, right algorithm and whatnot. So, right. so it comes both ways and um, it looks like uh, c- ANA is putting together education programs to be able to educate the marketers, um, especially the new data and uh, a marketing uh, council, and we are really looking forward to working with you guys. And I'm sure we are not the only vendor to be able to work with you guys to be educate the market. Because mm-hmm. if the clients understand it better, then they feel more confident that okay, I understand what you're selling, yeah, and thereby I can make a better decision. I think A&A yeah. calls us solutions. Solutions, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guests of the podcast can refer to themselves <laughs> as anything they like. Um, but, no, it-
0: But no, I think you really, I think you really summed it up there Mm. that, you know, I think, and this is a conversation for another episode, Mm. I think ad tech kind of got on the, started on the wrong foot in Mm. a lot of different ways. Everybody went into their camps, did what Mm. they were good at, and okay, now Mm. I've got this thing behind this vest. Trust me, it's great. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it really, the ANA is really trying to be that safe harbor, that like neutral ground Mm. where the solutions providers can come and be like, this is how we're, this is what we can show you. This is what we're not, you know, cause there are right. things that they're not legally uh, allowed to show you mm-hmm. that, you know, um, and then the, for the marketers, we're trying to provide that base level because it really just is a base level. Yeah. Like, you know, algorithms need data or it's like a dry, mm-hmm. you know, mill. It's yeah. not gonna do anything. Exactly. Um, you know, just very basic high level things that allow you to start on step two. You know, because you don't want to go right. into a tech vendor. It, to you, you don't want to spend thirty minutes with a potential future partner mm-hmm. uh, doing what you could have done on five minutes on YouTube before the meeting began. So I think that's it. I think transparency. I think education, and then that just leads to much better conversations around right. this, much more productive. is a
2: cheesy word, at least to empowerment, right? Yes. You don't yes. need. You don't exactly. need data to have a data practice.
0: Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my friends, before we wrap this up, I've got a couple of general questions I ask to everyone. Yeah. Gotcha ambushes, you know, <laughs> way S- big serious stuff. S- Not super at all. exciting. Um, how can uh, marketers, agencies, how can individuals that want to know more about Affinity Answers uh, get in touch?
2: Yeah, um, obviously the easiest way is uh, affinityanswers.com. We have lots of different portals within there that uh, you can reach out not only for direct uh, questions to us, but also um, for custom audience requests. Uh, It's a completely self-serve site. Um, But then, of course, you can reach out directly uh, through audiences at affinityanswers.com or to myself at josh at affinityanswers.com.
0: Fantastic, fantastic.
1: So um, so just to summarize on the uh, product side, so we essentially have three offerings. There are syndicated audiences that are sold in the marketplaces uh, through data exchanges that is available in every DSP. Um, so that is bought by about 400 clients worldwide. And then we have custom audiences that are built ac- exactly to your specification. Uh, the, the third is um, um, we actually have that model. Uh, sort of think of it as like uh, Intel Insight kind of a thing. So we can take the model and then essentially score it, your, uh, uh, apply it on your first party data mm. to do very targeted audience expansion. So, oh, uh, cool. in the third party, so we take your first party data as a seed because you, for all there is one truth set you want to believe in as an advertiser, the closest thing to that is your first party data because mm-hmm. that is the only thing you can trust in yes. the relative scheme of things, right? So, then you want to use that first party data as a seed to find people who act alike mm-hmm. them. So, Jack used that word act like as opposed to a look-alike. Um, so, we look for people who behaviorally are similar to that audiences. And, and that is, we score the entire universe of second-party and uh, third-party data on who's likely to be behaving like what, what you are. Uh, in other words, it's, it's like not, not how they look like, but what they do. It's mm-hmm. behaviorally similar to your first-party uh, audiences. And then we go find those audiences for you for your specific campaign. Again, it doesn't have to be one-size-fits-all. It can be very specific. So for a cosmetic client, like we found people with sarasis uh, like a uh, uh, dry skin mm-hmm. condition. Mm-hmm. So that is it's very specific. So also thereby being able to go very specific and being able to build the custom audience, but using first party as your seed. Right. Kind right. of gets the best of uh, all worlds. Uh, that, is, that is the three offerings that we have. Again, they all... Can contact audiences, especially Josh, so he can get better attribution for his marketing we're, efforts. He's we're, a little shy. We had <laughs> <a, we're laughs> to loop back to the question there. That was we're like
0: a long yes, way, and then I was like, it. "Oh yeah, by the
2: way, you can contact oh, us at affinityanswers.com. Yes.
0: <laughs> so I am going to open this out. Anybody who wants to take uh, these questions, uh, you know, one person can kind of lead for the group. So we have got three. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is just if we can get your feelings on diversity and inclusion in general, and how that relates to kind of business practice in general.
1: Sure. Um, so <laughs> you're asking an Indian guy about diversity. So yeah. that should <laughs> tell you a, a lot about uh, diversity. So um, I, I, I definitely believe that the industry needs to have a lot more diversity than it currently has. Um, the um, um, w- Diversity actually exists at various levels. People actually think of diversity in terms of predominantly race. Um, um, But I do think diversity in terms of your thinking, diversity in terms of your academic background are equally important. So, Mm -hmm. um, there is this maniacal focus. Uh, I come from, again, uh, a very analytical computer science kind of background. And as I run the business, especially for a consumer marketing kind of a technology company, I've come to appreciate the uh, value of liberal arts background a lot. Mm -hmm. Understanding consumer psychology and sociology and how other social proof drives their uh, purchases and whatnot. Because brand is ultimately a show of uh, social proof. You want to say, this brand says something about me. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to understand all that requires actually a liberal artsy thinking as well. So that is an aspect of diversity that is very important for uh, for uh, in this industry. Of course, you want uh, gender diversity uh, to be able to think about um, uh, uh, female-oriented brands versus male-oriented brands and things like that. Um, um, so uh, those are important. Um, the um, Yeah, so that's kind of my uh, take on it.
2: Like, I feel like I should have answered this question as the only non Indian in the company. <laughs> um, Not true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know Jack was actually born in India secretly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go. Jack's got deeper. <laughs> in Mumbai. <by>. That's <laughs> you, Yeah, exactly. You're real. Oh. So, uh, next on our gotcha heavy hitting mm. questions, mm. Uh, and this is a toss up. Favorite album of all time and why?
3: Uh, who's next? The who.
0: Apparently, oh, you are.
3: I yes. Like oh, that. yes! Yeah. Love it. Love
0: that it. That's a
3: good one. I've been to a, I've been to, you know, getting up in age, but I've been to 13 Who concerts between here and Europe, so. Wow. Just. That's a great one. I don't Love know if it. I have an answer why, other yeah. than just. I mean, sometimes connects, it's right? just object. Right? Yeah. I got. Like,
2: I just I got. A, yeah. The the my favorite album right now. I'm gonna change a little bit. No, that's Uh, funny because that's the next question. What are you listening to now? Yeah, Um, retro futurism by VHS Collection um, Mm. is one of my absolute favorite albums right now. Um, It's it's a listen through. It's one of those where you start at the start at the top and you go all the way through and you can't believe the album's finished. So (laughs) all uh, right, I've got my afternoon listening. to that. it's a great new album.
0: Um, Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking some time getting our audience a little smarter on this data game. We're gonna get there, we're gonna do it together. Um, again, Sri, Josh, Jack, thank you so much. Um, you know where you can find Affinity Answers if you like. And thanks for listening to the A Marketing Futures Podcast. You heard it here first. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the A Marketing Futures Podcast. Got an idea for an upcoming topic or guest? Shoot us a note at marketingfuturesana.net. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you want more innovation goodness, head on over.